everyone. Hope you had a good spring break. Well, as you look in our world today, there are growing tensions wherever you turn. Uh, just this past month, uh, you may have heard the news of Iran testing some ballistic missiles, which basically means they can go a really long way. And there was a message written in Hebrew on both sides of those missiles. Do you all know what that said? The message was written in Hebrew, and it says this, Israel must be wiped off the earth. That was the message on the side of these missiles that were tested this past week. If that doesn't create tension, <laughs> I don't know what would. In fact, when we were in Israel, we witnessed some of that tension firsthand. I told you about when we went into Jericho, which is technically a West Bank city. And as you enter Jericho on the main road, there's a big red sign. Here's what that sign reads as you enter into Jericho. This road leads to Area A under the Palestinian Authority. The entrance for Israeli citizens is forbidden, dangerous to your lives, and against Israeli law. The message is clear. Jews are not welcome here. When we went to the Temple Mount, we saw some of the very same thing. There was a rabbi who technically, legally, has every right to be there. But they do not want anybody of Jewish origin on the Temple Mount. And so they follow them around, mocking, scoffing, and cursing them with every step they take. There is tension all over the world. There's tension with North Korea. There's tension with China. There's tension with Russia. And it seems to be growing more and more every day. And, and we're not immune to it, even in our own country. Just this past week... Fights break out in political rallies. There's a growing divide between races, religions, between gender, sexual orientation, to the point that we cannot even carry on a civil conversation with one another. I ran across a, a very disturbing study done by Barna Research. The first part won't surprise you. They found through their research that most Americans believe it would be difficult to have a natural and normal conversation with minority groups different than them. And they identified uh, four or five different groups that they specifically targeted. And those groups were Muslim, Mormon, Atheist, Evangelical, and those from the gay and lesbian societies. Of those groups, guess which one had the most tension in having conversations with those outside of themselves. Evangelicals. Christians have the most difficulty talking to people outside of their own community. I, I was disturbed by that because I thought, how in the world can we share the love of Christ throughout the world if it's difficult for us to even have a conversation with somebody who is different than we are. And as I've mentioned before, I do believe social media only makes this worse because it magnifies our differences. We say things online that we would never tell someone face-to-face, -face, right? We present an image that's nowhere close to who we really are. We self-select the voices that we listen to because we want the ones that align with us. We don't want anything that challenges our sacred cows. We filter those away. There's no wonder 
that we live in a world with such growing tension at such alarming rates. But I tell you that because even though that's significant, it really pales in comparison to the tension that existed between Jews and Gentiles during the time of Christ, if you can believe that. The Jews believed that Gentiles were created for a purpose, to fuel the fires of hell. That's why they existed. In fact, part of that Jewish law was that you could not, a Jewish person could not aid a Gentile woman giving birth because they would only aid in bringing another heathen into the world. So it was forbidden. There was a sign that was on the temple courts. There was an excavation done in recent years, 1934. They discovered one of these, and this is what it reads. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. It sounds real familiar to the sign outside of Jericho, doesn't it? No Gentiles are welcome here. But that love loss went both ways. The Gentiles had just as much animosity towards the Jews as the Jews had towards them. They were considered barbarians, enemies of the Roman Empire. The Jews were not given the same rights and privileges as Roman citizens. They were tolerated, but held under the thumb of Roman, of Roman rule. So that tension existed back then, just as it does today. But that division, and no matter what era we're speaking of, exists for one single reason. It's too high of a view of man and too low of a view of God. You see, tension exists when we usurp the authority of our Creator who says that we were created equal in His image. It's a rebellious attitude that says, no, that's not true because I'm better than that person. And we can strategize about how to heal our land, how, about how to reconcile relationships with different people, cross racial and, and, and ethnic barriers to, to create more diversity. But here's the reality. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only lasting solution to a division that exists because of sin. That's the only answer. This is a spiritual barrier. And it has to have a spiritual answer and until that barrier comes down there is no lasting peace and that's Paul's point in our passage this morning and I think it's a message that's timely and extremely important in the world in which we live today so let's pray that we would have open eyes and ears to hear that message let's pray together Father thank you so much for the way your word, written hundreds of years ago, speaks so relevant and timely to the world we live in today. Because there are some timeless truths, one of them being the reality of sin and how it destroys relationships and builds walls and barriers. We need to understand, perhaps now more than ever, what it means for those walls to come down, how that happens, what is the effect, and how should it impact the way we live 
And so as we look at your word this morning, we ask together as your people that you would help us see these truths in a new light, in in a life-changing light such that when we leave this place, we are not the same person who walked in this place because your spirit has transformed our lives. That's our prayer. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll pick up where we left off in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. After describing those heavenly blessings in the spiritual realm of having been chosen, saved, and sealed by the work of God in our lives, he goes on to say in verse 11, Therefore, based on all those truths, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Therefore, remember, Paul turns his attention directly to the Gentiles within the Ephesian church. He says, don't forget how far you've come. Don't take the redemptive work of God for granted. You were once very far away from hope in Christ. And then he kind of presents an image that makes me think back to what we talked about last week with the prodigal son. Because the Gentiles were like that younger son. They had squandered everything and gone very far away. They gave up all rights and privileges of being close to God. They didn't have any interest or desire whatsoever. They were far, far away. The Jews, on the other hand, were like the older brother. They stayed near. They did have access to what the Gentiles chose to forfeit. But in their mind, they were better. That's why the Bible says there in verse 11, he puts it in quotes, the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Paul is making the point, look, this is a man-made division. This is not from God. The Jewish people were intended to draw people in. That was God's design, to be a light to the nations. Instead, they built barriers and pushed people away, separating themselves. Like the older brother, like many of us today, they couldn't even have a conversation with somebody outside of their own belief system. As a result, the Gentiles were separated from Christ. Why? (laughs) Because Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew, and, and the Gentiles were alienated from the Jews. Therefore, they were alienated from Jesus. When Jesus came onto the scene, the the Gentiles had no interest, and they would have assumed that Jesus, being a Jew, would have no interest in them. They were separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, they had no meaningful relationship with the people of God. And in the absence of that relationship, they didn't have access to the promises and covenants given to that people. They were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Those promises and covenants were hidden 
inside the selfish pride of the Jewish people. But they were also rejected because of the rebellious sin of the Gentiles. There was a barrier, a dividing wall, and that dividing wall was sin. The barrier of sin removes all hope because it separates us from God. And Paul seems to be making a point that he will now go on to develop that, look, you cannot claim to have a meaningful relationship with God and have hostility towards other people. They just don't coexist because the one excludes the other. And so he goes on to explain. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the hostility, which is in the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, both, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Remember that you were once far off, but now there is a new reality. God used the spiritual blessings of the heavenly realms to create a new humanity. A redeemed people. Those who were brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. No matter how far you've wandered, or no matter how close you've remained, we all need Jesus. Sin brings division. And only the blood of Jesus Christ brings redemption. He's our peace. And, and notice that it's not an opinion, it's, it's not a philosophy. Peace is a person. Jesus is our peace. He removed hostility so that we could pursue reconciliation. Being forgiven by God allows us, but more than that, it compels us to forgive one another. Isn't that what the Scripture tells us? Forgive as you've been forgiven. That's the point. It's important to understand that this is not just a truce. God didn't create a people who still hate each other, but just have decided not to fight anymore. <laughs> That's not what biblical reconciliation is all about. Forgiveness leads to friendship. Forgiveness restores relationships. That's the miracle of redemption. <laughs> it's like the barrier between East and West Berlin. The wall has to come down. In our neighborhood, we live in a rural subdivision. When we first moved out there 15 years ago, hardly anyone had fences, which is one of the things that was attractive to us. It felt like being out in the country a little bit. Uh, everybody kind of shared. It was one big yard in a sense. And we loved it because our neighbors, uh, before the ones we have now, had young kids. And when they would have a birthday party, literally our yards became the scene of that birthday party. 
And we had a play set and a tree house, and so those kids just made their way between those two yards, and we loved every minute of it. We have some new neighbors who are really great. <laughs> we enjoy them, but one of the first things they did, build a fence. In fact, most every person in our neighborhood has built a fence. And, and I think it's representative of who we are as a culture. We are fence builders. We like to build barriers to protect our own privacy of our lives. The Jews used the law to build a wall. God gave them the moral code, the, the sacrificial system, and they had a purpose. That moral code was intended to protect them from sinful and destructive behaviors. That sacrificial system was intended to remind them of the reality of sin in their lives. You don't need to turn there, but just listen to this passage in, in Hebrews that describes that. It says, but in those sacrifices, talking about the sacrificial system, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The sacrificial system was intended to keep a people understanding the reality of sin in their lives so that they might come humbly before a holy God in whom they find forgiveness and mercy and then relate to one another with that same humble forgiveness. Instead, the Jews used the laws to prove their superiority. They used the sacrificial system to create division. Instead of being humbled, they became prideful. What God intended to promote peace, mankind used to bring division, to create separation. We're fence builders. That's what we do. But the death of Christ broke down the wall. It took away the hostility, the enmity, and it put us all on equal ground. Look again at verse uh, 17. And he came and preached peace to who? Those who were far off. Is that the only ones? No. He came to preach peace to those who were near as well. You see, this is why. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Whether we've gone far, far away or stayed real close by, it doesn't matter. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all in need of forgiveness. And that common need puts us all on common ground. The cross creates a new humanity. A one new man. That's the point. And it's intended to reflect the beauty of the Trinity. In fact, look at verse 18. This is an incredible verse if you really stop to consider what it's saying. For through him, Jesus, we both have our access in one spirit, Holy Spirit, to the Father. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It reminds me of that prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17 when he tells the Father as he prays, may they be one as we are one. May they have unity as we have unity. Don't underestimate the significance of what is being said here. This is the miraculous redemption of the gospel where the fellowship of the Trinity makes possible an equal fellowship within the body of believers so that the one is a mirror of the other. That's an incredible 
incredible redemptive work. The wall has to come down. But look at verse 19, how he continues. So then we are no longer strangers and aliens, but our fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also being built together into the dwelling of God in the Spirit. Verse 11, it began by saying, but remember, remember how far off you were. Then in verse 13, it goes on to say, but now you've been brought near. By the blood of Jesus Christ. And then here in verse 19, so then, you're no longer strangers and aliens. Those who are strangers and aliens are now fellow citizens. Those two words, strangers and aliens, describe really two different people with a common reality. When you think about strangers, you should think about a temporary foreigner. So, for example, when you go to visit another country, you have to have a visa, right, that allows you to, to get into that country. But while you're there temporarily, you're a foreigner. You don't have the same rights and privileges as citizens of that country. Okay? Well, you may be there for longer than just a tour. You may be there for work. You may be for the, there for school for a longer period of time. But the fact still remains, you're still a foreigner. You, you still don't have access to the rights and privileges of the citizens of that country. You're on the outside, looking in. And apart from Christ... That's true for us as well. Strangers, aliens, on the outside looking in, without heavenly rights and privileges, without God, without hope. But in Christ, it all changes. Those strangers and aliens now become fellow citizens. I want you to think a little bit about what it means to be a citizen. It means that you share in the rights and privileges of that particular people. So as Americans, that means we share in certain privileges as citizens of this country. We can vote. We can have a job. We can serve in the military. We can run for office. Those are all rights and privileges of the citizens of this country. As American citizens, we have a, a common language. We have a common constitution. We abide by a common set of laws and, and rules that govern us. And as a Christian, we should see something very similar. We share the rights and privileges of what it means to be a people of God. We are ruled by the sovereignty of God and His righteousness, led by His Spirit, guided by His Word. That's like our Constitution. We're fellow citizens who belong to a heavenly kingdom, no longer aliens and strangers, but we are now fellow citizens. Paul goes on to press the point by drawing on another metaphor. He calls it that we're God's household. Okay, now we've gotten a, a lot more intimate. Okay, because now he's saying we're not just fellow citizens, we're family. The gospel allows us to become brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what it means to be a new humanity, a new people. We might build fences to separate ourselves from our neighbors, but family? We live under the same roof. We have a different relationship. Like all families, we share a common heritage. That's why he goes on to say that, th that, that the foundation of our household is built on the apostles and the prophets. 
These are our forefathers, people who proclaim the message of the gospel that we have believed in, that we put our hope in. People who pointed us to Christ and ultimately identified him as the chief cornerstone. Now, we hear that phrase today and it doesn't strike us as significant because we don't understand the importance of a cornerstone in ancient history and the building of buildings, right? So let me try to put this in perspective a little bit. Today, we think of uh, foundations of a concrete slab or a pier and beam or two by fours. But in, in the ancient times, they were, buildings were built on large stones. In fact, when we went to the Temple Mount, uh, we saw some of the foundational stones of the temple that were the size of a suburban. Huge stones. And the cornerstone would have been the largest stone of all, the very first stone placed, some of those weighing up to 80 tons. So you can imagine where you put that stone and how you oriented it determined every aspect and angle of that building from that point on. Well, Jesus is that cornerstone. We are his people, the household of God. All the apostles and prophets align themselves with Jesus as the cornerstone. And every aspect of the building, as we are fitted together, is oriented to who Christ is and what he called us to do. He's our cornerstone. But I also want you to notice that it's a living building. Look at again at verse 21. In whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple. It's growing. It's developing. And not because of something we do. It's, it's a work of God. Because here's another reality of ancient masonry. They didn't use mortar. Okay? Mortar is used to, to fill gaps to cover mistakes. But that's not what they did in ancient times. That mason would have to shape every stone to fit the one next to it. And the same thing is happening within the church. It says that we're being fitted together by God. Being built together by God. The mason would use a tool to chip off rough, rough edges so that they would connect to one another. And God uses the Holy Spirit to do the same thing in our lives for the very same purpose being fitted together as a household of God. See, we're not creating a place. We're not making it holy. We're not building his church. God is shaping us. He's changing us so that we are being fitted together to become the people that he's ultimately designed and created us to be. The walls of division have torn down. There are no longer any man-made barriers that apply. There's a passage, I want you to just listen to this in the context of what we've just talked about and how it relates to what we've said. It's a familiar verse, but think about it in the context of what we've just looked at together. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the message. Now, I think what we've talked about this morning is highly significant in the fractured world in which we live. But I think you and I, in our middle class world, can often lose sight of how deep the division really is. I'll tell you one of the ways that this was um, 
revealed to me. This year we had a grand play basketball at Friendship, and I had an opportunity to, to meet one of the dads of one of the players that Graham played with. His name's Mr. Fred. He's a black man who gave the speech before the season started to parents and players. And he gave a message that more clearly and beautifully communicated the gospel than I think I've ever heard before. And, and I just went up to him. I said, man, I really appreciate what you had to say. That was a powerful message of truth to a very mixed audience. And what a bold statement you made. And I appreciate that. Well, Mr. Fred and I began to strike up a friendship so that we made a point that each time our sons played in games, we sought each other out and, and spent time visiting and catching up. And at one point I asked him, I said, hey, how can I be praying for you? What are some things going on that I can be mindful of? Um, he gave me some things that were working, uh, that he was working on. He was studying to be a pastor. And so gave us something in common that we prayed for each other in. And then he said, I, I would appreciate it if you would pray for racial unity. I remember hearing that and thinking, you know, I really don't have a problem with people of different races or ethnicities. I'll pray for that, but I don't think I have the same sense of urgency that he clearly did when he asked me to pray for that. And then as I got to thinking about it, I thought, of course I do. I'm not the minority. I'm not the one who feels like a foreigner. I'm not the one who feels the tension because I'm not the one most affected. And I never will understand until I become more closely connected to those who are. I don't have an easy answer for this. I'm not going to lay out a three-point strategy of how we solve racial tension within our world today. But I'll tell you what I've done for me personally. I've committed to pray. And the first thing I've committed to pray for is forgiveness. For living inside my world and not recognizing the significance of what exists outside of that world. And entering into relationships with people that give me a perspective that I don't have on my own. Lord, forgive me for that. But I've also prayed for opportunity. I prayed for opportunity to interact and to form relationships with people who are different than me brothers and sisters in Christ who are of a different color, of a different culture. And I'm asking God to open my eyes to see those relationships, and I'm agreeing ahead of time to enter into them. There was a statement that I ran across as I was preparing this sermon that really um, struck me. It says this, Until blacks and whites pray together, race relationships in America will be fundamentally unhealthy. I couldn't agree more. And so I'm praying. For somebody who's different than me so that we can pray together. With that being said, I want to challenge you to pray about something as well. I want you to pray for opportunities to have conversation and enter into relationships with people who are different than you. Because how in the world, as believers in Jesus Christ, do we expect to fulfill the Great Commission if we're uncomfortable with having a simple conversation with somebody who believes something different than we do. How does that work? It doesn't work. So we need to pray for the ability to enter into conversations with people who are different than us. And now, hear me on this. I'm not saying that your best friend needs to be an atheist, okay? <laughs> That's not my point. 
because the scripture is clear. Your deepest, most meaningful relationships should exist within the household of faith, with brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. It's a new humanity, a new family, and those are your deepest relationships. But that doesn't mean you avoid everyone else altogether. You may not support gay marriage, and I certainly don't, but that doesn't mean that I hate gay people. But unless you're any willing to enter into a conversation, there's no way of proving that's not true. Because reaching out is the most fundamental way to show love. And in the absence of that, talk is cheap. So I want to challenge you to reach outside your comfort zone, to interact, maybe beginning with your neighbors. <laughs> to walking across that fence and introducing yourself. I want you to think about this. Think about your own story of faith if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And isn't it true that as you think about how you came to faith in Christ, that was not a separate event somehow disconnected from your life, but there were events and things that contributed to why and how you ultimately put your faith in Christ. The gospel enters into a story. Well, how do we make the gospel relevant if we don't know their story? So start with knowing their story, hearing about their life, and then just see if there might be ways that the gospel can then speak truth and life and peace and purpose into that story. But you have to start by crossing the fence and entering into conversations. And with that, let me give you one final caution. Reaching out is only healthy if you're plugged in. Otherwise, you'll be pulled away. Reaching out is only healthy if you're plugged in. Otherwise, you'll be pulled away. If you're not being fitted and growing within the body of Christ, you don't have a foundation to stand on. And so what you'll do is you'll react to this sermon and you'll go out and start interacting with people, but outside of the context of really being engaged with the body of Christ and the truths of His Word, and pretty soon it all starts down pretty good. Instead of sharing truth, you start promoting compromise, right? Ah, we'll all get to the same place anyway, right? No, that's not right. It's not right. Love doesn't condone sinful behavior. But it does help us realize that I'm not the one that can change another person's heart. Remember, this is heart knowledge, not head knowledge. So my job, your job, is not to convince the other person that they're wrong. Our job is to pray and hope that they understand that Jesus is right. That, that there's no other name under heaven given unto men by which we can be saved. He's our peace. And our common ground is that we are in equal need of a Savior. Trusting in Him is the only way for our life to be changed, for the divi dividing wall to come down. So church, hear me clearly. As it gets nastier and nastier around us, the tendency is to close up shop and get closer and closer and shutting people off. But we cannot carry out the Great Commission 
if we are unwilling to have a conversation with people who are different than us. Know their stories. And trust God to reveal to you how the message of the gospel answers the questions, the difficulties, and the divisions within those stories. And live together as a unified people who are made into a new humanity. Those who are far off and those who are near, redeemed by the same sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ. And let's begin there. Let's pray. Father, we uh, need to hear this. It is deeply relevant to the world in which we live. And even as I speak these words, I feel like they even still fall short to what we need to hear about how we need to live. And yet I also know that your spirit does work beyond the words of anybody who might stand up here. That your spirit changes lives. That you are the one who takes off our sharp edges, who fits us together, who causes us to grow. And we want to pray together as your people that we would live like the new humanity you've created us to be, a redeemed people who forgive as we have been forgiven, who love as we have been loved. And not just within this body of believers with whom we should be most deeply connected with, But because of that deep connection, because of that source of truth and hope and love, we can extend ourselves to those outside of the family of faith so that we can know their story and speak the truth of the message of the gospel into that story without any uh, efforts or, or desire to change a person's heart because we do not have that ability. That is reserved for the work of your Spirit alone. So instead, we can with great joy in great anticipation of your promises fulfilled, speak the truth of Jesus Christ, the one who broke down the dividing wall, the one who brought us near by the shedding of his blood, the one in whom we are forgiven and made to be a redeemed people, a new humanity, who exists not just for the good of who we are as that people, but we actually reflect the miracle of the fellowship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Your redemption was breathed out of your personhood so that our relationships reflect the unity of your very being. That's miraculous. That's life-changing. That's world-changing. Lord, help us be that people. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Yes. Yeah, don't leave yet. Um, can, is this on? You got me on? Um, I'm waiting for it again. Okay. Uh, Scott Jacobs gave me this informa- information just a, little, uh, just a little bit ago. He's asking us all to pray. Um, in- Emma was part, part of a group coming back from California today. They were involved in a mi- missions trip in S- San Diego under na- navigators. Anyway, there was a car a- accident outside of Clo- Clovis, and the car that Emma is in I think is okay, but the car in front, front of them was involved in the accident, and uh, there was one, per- one person killed and two others unresponsive. And so Scott and uh, 
Chris Sanders left a while ago to go up there to see what they, they could do to help out. So if you would, just as you leave today at home or whatever, which would be pray, praying for the, 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 the families of, of those kids who were injured or killed in, in, in that, that accident. 